Baseball in the 20th century has seen no shortage of long-term deals to the game's best players. But in the mid-1970s, there were no such thing as these kinds of contracts. That all changed when one team decided to go all-in on a standout pitcher that could take them all the way. Who was he? Why offer such a big contract? And how did he perform? Let's learn about baseball's first long-term contract today on Rounders, a history of baseball in America. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. Boy, it's a pleasure to have you, and it's a pleasure to be back in front of the microphone. I am your host, Jeff Lambert. In 1977, the Cleveland Indians, now the Guardians, signed an all-star pitcher named Wayne Garland to a 10-year, $2.3 million contract. It was the first long-term deal of its kind in baseball history. It was an unprecedented move for a team in those days, and it really shocked the baseball world. Nowadays, we're really used to these kinds of deals, so it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. You know, we saw Carlos Correa get 13 years from San Francisco in this 2022 offseason. We saw Fernando Tatis Jr. get 14 years from San Diego in 2021. John Carlos Stanton got 13 years from the Yankees in 2015. Even Alex Rodriguez got a 10-year deal back in 2001 to kick off the century. But 50 years ago, baseball didn't have these types of contracts. It was an entirely different game back then in terms of acquiring talent. Free agency was this new system, and it went by a different name known as a re-entry draft, and it was just starting to take shape, this ability to sign players and add them to your roster in this way. As a matter of fact, we talked about the birth of the free agency system in a previous episode of our companion podcast, This Week in Baseball History. You can access that show for free. All you have to do is sign up for our weekly email newsletter. Wayne Garland was a part of Major League Baseball's first crop of free agents, and we're going to start the show by looking at what made him such an attractive target for teams in the winter of 1976. Wayne Garland was drafted by the Pittsburgh Pirates in the fifth round of the 1968 MLB draft. He decided not to sign and instead went to school at Gulf Coast Junior College. Then in 1969, the St. Louis Cardinals selected him, and again, he chose not to sign a contract. But later on that year, he changed his mind, and he entered the secondary draft, and that's when he was snagged by the Baltimore Orioles. Now, his career started off really slowly. He had a few starts and some forgettable appearances. He posted a 7-9 and record in 1972, and then he went 10-11 and in 1973. He did, however start to develop a wicked fastball, and he struck out 141 batters in that same season. And that potential was good enough for a late-season call-up to the Orioles in September of 1973. He didn't make the opening day roster in 1974, but he was called up again in May because the Orioles were desperate to shore up their bullpen. And he ended up making six starts that season, and it included a game where he pitched eight innings of no-hit baseball. He remained a reliever throughout the 1975 season. He was a reliable guy out of their bullpen. And then at the beginning of 1976, he was still holding that status. But at the beginning of that season, 
a starting spot opened up in Baltimore's rotation, and Garland's strikeout abilities bought him a chance to become a starter. He blew away everybody's expectations in that 1976 season. He won 20 games by the end of 1976, and that put him sixth overall in the league. He also posted a 2.67 ERA. So the Orioles thought that they had found the new rotation anchor, and they tried to get Garland to sign a mid-season deal that very season because they saw what was happening in front of their eyes, and they offered him $40,000. Not bad. But Garland rejected that mainly because he wasn't getting along with the team's manager, Earl Weaver. So that meant that Garland was clear at the end of the season to enter free agency in the re-entry draft in the upcoming offseason. And he was part of a really talented group of free agents. This was the first crop that was available for teams to go after. They had veteran big names like Reggie Jackson and Raleigh Fingers, and they also had these younger phenoms, Roy Sadecki and Dick Allen, were both names that were available too. So he certainly wasn't at the top of the field, but he was entering that offseason with 20 wins under his belt, a young pitcher with a lot of potential. Now, before we go any further, I just wanted to provide some quick context for the next part of Wayne Garland's journey, and that's baseball's free agency system that he is going to be a part of. This was really different going into the 1976 offseason, 1977 season. The reentry draft was baseball's way of allowing teams to have a chance at signing players while also protecting them from being poached by the wealthier clubs only. The way that this early reentry draft system worked in a nutshell was that teams could put in bids for a player and the team with the highest bid got exclusive rights to negotiate with that player. But the first right to make an offer was arranged in a draft system. So the team with the first pick got to make the first offer to the player and so on and so forth. And then teams had 48 hours to sign that player or else the player went back into the draft pool. So you wanted those exclusive rights to be able to start negotiating with the player and you wanted that higher draft order to be able to do that. So this is the system that Wayne Garland found himself mixed into. Now, Baltimore picked sixth in the 1976-77 reentry draft, and they had a chance to sign Garland, but after that failed opportunity midseason, they actually chose instead to trade up with the California Angels, and they snagged a young Cuban pitcher named Mike Queller. And uh, I'll put a link for him in the show notes. He actually went on to win three All-Star games throughout his career. It turned out to be pretty good for the Orioles. But... Uh, Baltimore passed on him, and Garland found himself still on the board. But that didn't mean that he wasn't coveted by other teams in the league. As a matter of fact, he was a pretty hot commodity. He got 12 different offers from 12 different teams. And the Cleveland Indians, who were really desperate to get a starting pitcher, decided that they were going to throw a crazy offer at Garland to try and secure him. They offered him 10 years at $2.3 million dollars. That contract was worth an average of $232,000 a year, and Wayne was 25 years old. He agreed to that offer. Now, at the time, this was the first 10-year contract given out by an MLB team. When Wayne's agent called to give him the news, Wayne said, quote, I'm not worth it. And his agent responded by saying, quote, well, obviously somebody thinks you are. 
So the Indians were really confident that Wayne Garland was worth the investment. And it looked like it was starting to pay off at first, but then things really went south. So we go into the 1977 season. Garland ends up starting off great. He posts a positive win-loss record. And then as the season went on, he started to feel a pain in his shoulder. And he continued to pitch with that nagging injury. And he ended the 1977 season with a record of 13-19 and with a 3.59 ERA. Not great, but not totally horrible. So he came back in 1978. In his first spring training game, he injured his arm enough where they took him out, but he decided that he wanted to keep pitching that season, and the team ended up giving him a cortisone shot. He lasted another six starts, but then he was diagnosed with a torn rotator cuff, and he ended up having to undergo surgery, and he sat out the rest of that season while he recovered. He returned in 1979 ready to go, but he only lasted 10 games, and he ended up spending two more times long-term on the disabled list. He ended up finishing the season with a 4-10 record. In 1980, he attempted another comeback season, and it was a little bit better. He threw 150 innings. He ended up finishing with a record of 6-9, and and he ended up throwing a two-hit shutout in the middle of the season. But that certainly was a far cry from the 20-win player that Cleveland thought that they were getting. In 1981, he hoped to build on that that little bit of comeback success, but the 1981 season was cut short by a two-month player strike. So Garland ended up not being able to build much momentum out of that. And then in 1982, he showed up the spring training with a new primary pitch to try and avoid more injuries to his shoulder. During the offseason, he had developed a knuckleball, but that did not help him return to his 20-win form. And after that season, Garland was released by the Cleveland Indians with half of his contract still on the books. That was his last season in the majors. After being released, Garland tried to get tryouts with other major league teams. He was not successful in getting that. He tried to land a spot on a AAA club. That also didn't work out. He ended up spending some time the next season with the Yankees AA affiliate, but he was released at the end of the season by that squad as well. So what are we to make of the Wayne Garland signing? It was a historic long-term contract, and it seemed like a smart move at the time, and here's why. Even though Garland's success was short-lived and he never came close to winning another 20 games, Cleveland did, in that situation, feel like they had to go all in and try to get back to being a contender. And Garland was 25 years old. He had won 20 games. He was a known strikeout talent, and he kept a low ERA. Considering all those factors, his 10-year deal seemed like a reasonable gamble for the Indians, in my opinion. But what do you think? Was Wayne Garland worth the gamble? Was his contract the beginning of a negative trend or an inevitable evolution of player contracts? Let me know by following on social media or joining the weekly email newsletter. Folks, I want to thank you so much for joining me for another episode. And remember, there are only two seasons, winter and baseball. Rounders, A History of Baseball in America is produced by Jeffrey Lambert. Our research assistant is Cass Silber. A special thanks to our starting nine supporters, Nathan Halverson and Jack Wilson.